I think Ethan, this is his Bible, and that's his guitar. No, that's mine. And that's yours. Oh, okay. I was thinking you must have chased him out. <laughs> you know, somehow he, you know, uh, was, wasn't, uh, whatever. Uh, we left his stuff behind. We just had to get out in such a hurry. So, David, you better watch They it. all shouted heresy and ran him off the pulpit, right? <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's great to be here. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, I often thought that if I would just speak a lot and at different places, I wouldn't be nervous ever, you know. But any, you're always nervous, always a little bit nervous. And in El Salvador, actually, you know, when you visit a church, um, regardless if it's really your first time or, or, uh, or not, especially if you're a North American and known to be a Christian, they will invite you to come on up and say a few words. Uh, so it's very common to, to get called up, and you always kind of have to have a sermon in your back pocket, basically, you know, for, for something. But uh, there's a lady visiting one of the rural churches um, uh, in El Salvador, and the pastor asked her to come up, and she didn't want to, and she was super embarrassed, and she thought, well, okay, I'll just, I know some Spanish words. I'll get up there and say what I can, and she's just thinking embarrassed, embarrassed, and how do I say embarrassed, and she gets up there and says, brothers and sisters, hermanos y hermanas, estoy tan embarazada y es la culpa del pastor. So embarazada sounds a lot like embarrassed, right? But what she actually said is, brothers and sisters, I am so pregnant <laughs> and it's the pastor's fault. <laughs> so... And these types of things ha- actually happen more than you want to know. And I have a few other stories that <laughs> of even myself uh, uh, translating for people and people trying to go ahead and speak Spanish right away and kind of saying things where you're like, no, 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 they didn't say that. They didn't mean that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but anyhow, so, but it is, it is great to be here. And it's been now 12 years um, since Jenny and I went to El Salvador on our, on our honeymoon uh, for a couple months, and uh, <laughs> stayed down there for almost eight years, um, and uh, but it's been uh, you know 12 years now that that you guys, that your congregation has been um, pray, praying for Enlace, praying for us as uh, missionaries and supporting us um, and the ministry of Enlace. And so, first of all, thank you for that. I mean, that's it. It absolutely is amazing, and it's uh, mind-boggling to think that it's been 12 years already. And that, uh, you know, so many things have changed over the years. Um, but in since I know you guys have probably heard me talk about Enlace now for 12 years, um, with the kind of general updates and overviews, um, I thought I'd maybe dive in a little bit deeper to one of the um, philosophies or mindsets behind why we do what we do um, in El Salvador and through the ministry of Enlace. Uh, but specifically to be able to make um, an application that I think is very broad to all of our lives, um, and basically look into two essential elements uh, for our Christian lives that, that we try to implement through rural churches in El Salvador, but that certainly we can uh, be implementing ourselves in Christians no matter where we are, and those are grace and truth, and we'll look at the, the juxtaposition between grace and truth. So, um, but thinking about it from the model of enlace, who knows what enlace means? 
Yes, teacher, link. Yes. <laughs> uh, link or connect or to form a relationship. Enlace is the, the word for that in Spanish. And as I've, you've heard me say now for 12 years, uh, we work with rural churches um, that have a calling and a vision to, to transform their communities and basically link or connect them to training and resources to be able to work with their communities. The fruit of that looks like a lot of other development-type projects around the world from you know, water systems to health clinics to, to houses to all sorts of things like that. that that's the fruit of, of all that happens. But and, and actually, this, the, the, the fruit of that has been amazing now recently to see, you know, when we first went down there in, in, in uh, uh, 2002, we were working with just a handful of churches. Um, this year, it blows my mind, we're working with over 70 churches who are implementing 120 projects this year. Um, so these are 120 separate projects, um, close to 70,000 people that will be directly benefited this year from things like houses and health clinics and all of these different elements that are, are, are visible and tangible, you know. Um, uh, and, and with the goal of next year, we'll to be hitting our goal of 100 churches by 2015. And we were just down there a couple days ago, and we are doing the strategic planning for 2020 to think of 250 churches serving um, you know, about 250,000 people, which just blows my mind. It's a huge percentage of the population in El Salvador, a huge percentage of those who live in poverty. But what's interesting about this is that it's not about all the numbers, and it's not about all the projects. And the root of what we focus on at Enlace is not just trying to fill a gap or, uh, you know, fill uh, what would be considered a need, because obviously there's needs everywhere, right? But we believe that poverty is not just a lack of material resources or lack of dot, 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 but that it's relational. It has to do with relationships. Um, first of all, broken relationships between an individual and God. And second of all, and therefore, basically because of the re- broken relationship between an individual and God, people around them. And so we use a, a, a diagram pretty frequently. Well, it's been reestablished in a lot of different ways. But that the, the primary relationship is between God and humankind, right? And then out of this relationship, you have multiple other relationships that happen. First of all, love your neighbor as you love your what? Self. So you've got the relationship with self. Then you have your relationship with love others, right? But first of all, you can, you can um, identify Others as, some people, or I just thought of this the other day, you can call them easy others, <laughs> which is basically friends and family and church and people that are immediately around you. And then you have the other set of the others, which are, would be considered difficult other or whatever, but basically those that we don't, what? <laughs> but those that we don't have direct relationship with or that are, that are not easily um, uh, connected in our everyday life. And this would include, you know, everything from community officials and leaders and people in your community that you don't have anything to do with, but also the marginalized and the people that just do not, you just do not come in contact with or at least you choose not to come in contact with on, on an everyday basis. And then the other relationship is with creation, or basically the rest of creation, beyond humankind. And with that, you're referring to basically all material things around us. Um, and, and that you know, goes into even uh, 
struck, people who struggle with materialism or, or even with worshiping the, the earth or, you know what I mean? But everything else, our relationship with every, every other inanimate object or inanimate object around us. And basically the idea is these relationships are what are the fabric of life and of God's plan for creation, right? And poverty at its root being relational, the idea is it's, there's broke, these relationships have been broken. The good plan that was set out from the beginning uh, has been fractured and broken. And if we are about, want to have, create lasting change, we have to be about restoring these relationships in every way that we can. And a good example of this you can see in just about any community in El Salvador. And for instance, and I've talked about many different pastors over the, community, over the, few, over the many years I've been here. But today, Pastor Carlos, um, who's from a town of Panchimalco, which is a, a beautiful historic town in, in just outside of San Salvador. But it's a, an amazing juxtaposition because it's, it's, it's a beautiful town, colonial town with these uh, huge, just a beautiful town with cobblestone streets and adobe homes. That have, you know, but on the outskirts of town, it's absolute abject poverty, and it's one of the most violent municipalities in the world, period. <laughs> and Carlos drove, or grew up in this community. Um, he, his, uh, his father left them, left the family at an early age, uh, his mother died, and so he was basically orphaned, um, and he um, went into gang life, as so many kids do in El Salvador, and, and El Salvador's been in the news a lot lately with all of the children who've been coming north from Central America and you know, crossing the border illegally, um, and many of them running from gang violence, and many of them trying to just you know, take advantage of what they can to get across the states for a better life because of what they're living in in El Salvador, right? So... Carlos uh, got into gang life at an early age, um, and you can see, and he lived in poverty throughout, throughout his life until he became a Christian, and then he went back to school, and he got you know, training as a mechanic, and he's made a better life for himself over the years. But if you study Carlos's life, and you look at his poverty, especially when he was in his early 20s, you can see the brokenness at every level, from not being able to recognize God to it, 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 and then that relationship informing who he was in himself of, not, of having a, a low self-esteem and not understanding who, who he was connected with. And then how that goes to um, even he, without a family structure to rely on, the only thing he, he falls into is going to be how can he kill <laughs> and destroy to be able to get what he can. You know, I mean, and, and the, the gang life ends up providing him the essential elements that he needs to be able to survive because it provides him structure, it provides him money, it pro- they provide him shelter, all of these types of things. And, and, and without that, you can see how in order to just restore him, you can't, d- if you just come in with a housing project and give it away to Carlos, what good is that going to do, right? You just come in with a feeding program and you start giving feed food to Carlos every week, what good is that going to do? You know, if you're only, you know, uh, um, treating one part of the problem, it ends up making it sometimes even worse. Um, and actually, some w- another way that people talk about it beyond just relational is that poverty and many of the world's problems are like a big knot. And if we come in and try and resolve it by saying, oh, this right here, this is the culprit. I'm going to fix it by, 
pulling on this strand right here. And obviously, we just make it that much worse, right? And, the, and you recognize that there's a complex set of relationships that end up happening in the community, and when we pull on one of them, we actually end up making it worse half the time. So the idea is to come up with a way to be able to um, help to restore relationships in a full and holistic way. Um, and the application of that, and I want you to turn in your Bibles, those of you that have them there, to go to John chapter 1. And we're going to see two key elements that can help to inform all of these relationships in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, viable way. John chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. Many, many of you have, have heard and read the Gospel of John many times. And just recently, I was reading through um, a book by Henry Cloud, and he focused on these verses in um, chapter 14, or excuse me, uh, verses 14 through 17, and it was, it really opened my eyes up to a new truth and, and helped me to uh, really get a deeper understanding of what the essential ingredients to making these types of, of uh, uh, relationships work. So, if you remember, the Gospel of John is a little bit different. The beginning of the Gospel of John is completely a lot different than any of the other Gospels. I'm going to get it confused which one starts with what. But one of the Gospels starts with, um, uh, the, one of them starts with basically Jesus' birth. The other one starts with the chronology of, of uh, uh, what do you call that, the family history of everybody to lead up to Jesus. Luke is, it is that goes the whole way back to Adam, basically starts this Gospel talking about Adam, and then relates Jesus to the second Adam. John's the only one that goes to, what's John 1, 1? In the beginning, the Word was, was with God, and, and, oh, there we go, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he goes the whole way back to the beginning and sets up this big framework of this big cosmic God, right? That is the Word, the Logos, that is absolute truth and the word with a capital W, you know, and oftentimes truth in some of the versions has a capital T whenever we're talking about this is the big concept. But so then he gets into, he, he introduces John the Baptist and then he gets to verse 14, which says that that word, the big cosmic boom, <laughs> became flesh, which is the same flesh word that Paul uses to talk about the flesh is weak, and we have to be, a f- you know, the afraid of the flesh. And, you know, in other words, like, that it's, it's the weakness. So the word becomes flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen this glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Verse 16 says, From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. So, these, these two elements of grace and truth, it sounds 
like they almost go together pretty well, as if it was grace and love or peace and love, right? They, they just kind of go together, grace and truth. But if we look at it, the, the word that's used for truth here, and then also the, the, the combination with law that he's using, is quite the opposite of grace in a lot of ways. What do you, what do you guys think of when you think of the word grace? How would you define grace? Forgiveness? Is the forgiveness earned? Deserved? Given. Exactly. Grace is this undeserved, unearned, you know, unconditional. Exactly. Um, What do you think of when you think of, I'm going to write truth first, but what do you think of when you think of the word law? Rules. The thing you need grace for, <laughs> right? Um, and most of the Old Testament of being is, is, is so much about laws. And really, if you, one way to think of it is conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you're going to get bad, right? Consequences, exactly. That'll be a consequence. Do you want a consequence? We have eight and six-year-old, right? Can you tell? <laughs> the consequence. And you try to have, you know, you try to have the parameters as you're, as you're a parent to give them guidelines, right? I didn't even think of the parenting illustration, but there you go. But, I mean, <laughs> it's as good as it gets in terms of trying to uh, have guidance and parameters like there's a need for truth. What happens when you get one more than the other? What, do you, what, what does too much truth look like? without any grace. Lots of law and no grace. We all know what it looks like. It's, it's legalism. It's judgmentalism. It's judgment. And the fruits of that almost always are guilt and anxiety. You know, it's, 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 it's terrific. It, what, ha- what happens if you get all grace but no parameters, no law? You get a bunch of nothing because you get everything, <laughs> right? Because anything goes, and there's no, there, there, there's, there's no law whatsoever to follow, and so who cares? And there, then, more than anything, there becomes no direction, and it's the root of, of all emptiness, and it's just to love, to love. I mean, you, I mean, how many people have you met that kind of have come up against the truth side of things, and maybe they've met a lot of Christians that are way too much truth without any grace in terms of the way they act or talk or, or feel, and so they reject all that completely and will begin to believe anything. We just had a conversation the other day with somebody who was, who, you know, as we talked through it, they were basically saying, I believe everything except for Christianity. You know what I mean? Like, so it's good if you're, you know, we, I really believe in Native American stuff because it's even older than Christianity. I really believe in these Celtic traditions because it's that. But wait, isn't that Christian? No, you know, um, they believe in all these different things. But there, it becomes nothing because they've come up in, to the front of, of, of the law and recognize themselves completely um, incapable of being able to achieve that as we all do, and we all should, but then they didn't get the grace part, and so they run the other way. But And so as you see, this idea of Jesus Christ actually 
embodies grace and truth. And that's what John is telling us. That he's the the fullness of grace and truth. And that through Jesus Christ's, Christ's example, we know God through the fullness of grace and truth. Does that make sense? I think it's just a, an interesting concept because as you get, if you think about it in every, any uh, other aspect of your life, there needs to be that balance. And these, these, this grace and truth concept is not a problem that needs to be solved. It's not grace or truth. It's both. And it's not a problem that needs to be solved, but a tension that needs to be managed constantly. I mean, these are the two the main veins that have been presented to us to, to, to move forward. And so the, John is telling us that this fullness of grace and truth has been seen, that God has been known through Jesus Christ. And so taking it back to what we do in El Salvador, we've decided to say, you know, so if, we, if Jesus Christ is the fullness of this, of what this means, Jesus, uh, then we need to study the life of Christ, in order to know what grace and truth are all about. And so, actually, when we work with these rural churches, our, our field staff, our church coaches, that's the first set of, of, uh, of material that they work through with them, is first of all, let's look at Jesus' life. And first of all, what did he do? You think about Jesus' actions, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, who did Jesus hang out with? Sinners. Who did he make really mad? <laughs> the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day who were all on the law. Um, who felt comfortable around him, you know? And if you think of the things of like, where did he go? The places that he went as well, he was constantly taking detours from the main roads. Do you think the leprosies, the lepers, excuse me, were allowed to come up to Jesus? He was always going to them. When he goes to the, to, through the temple, through the uh, pools of Bethesda, or, yeah, the Bethesda, that was like restricted for anyone who wanted to maintain cleanliness to be able to go into the temple. He was constantly taking detours away from the normal path to be able to meet those who were marginalized. And he spent his time, if you think of how he spent his time, his time was spent primarily healing and feeding and then retreating (laughs) to go back to the father to go back to the source and providing the full example of how of how relationships should be at every level first of all your relationship with God second of all understanding who you are in your identity with God and then from the, the whole gamut of it he provides the perfect example and what becomes interesting about Somebody like Carlos, Pastor Carlos, who we're referring to, is oftentimes when he meets Christianity, and as he did, he became a a, a Christian at a very uh, conservative evangelical church that provided law for him. He needed a way out, a structure, to get out of his gang-ridden lifestyle and all that he was doing, and the church provided that for him in an amazing way. However... It became all law and no grace for everybody else. And I think it's a a pretty common theme that we get saved recognizing that we are sinners and then we spend the rest of our life trying to say that we're not. 
right? Anyhow, Carlos ends up being a pastor who now wants nothing to do with anyone outside of the church. He has recognized himself only on the law side, and he and God's team, we're good, right? And then that law side and judgmentalism works well with his church, but then it completely cuts him off from everything else in the world. The world is evil, and everything about it is evil, and I want nothing to do with it. All those sinners outside the church, they need to turn or burn, because I don't want to deal with them. You know what I mean? And this is how almost all of evangelicals in, in, in Latin America have become over the past 20 years. However, Carlos defining, diving deeper into scriptures and recognizing, first of all, what Jesus did and then what Jesus said and fully grasping this idea of grace. He had the true stuff figured out. <laughs> but fully grasping this idea of grace opened his eyes to this is what Christianity needs to be all about. This is what our mission as a church needs to be all about, is showing truth and love, grace and love, and everywhere around us. And the results have been absolutely amazing. Um, and he, like many other pastors in the region, all of a sudden say, we need to do things to help these people. And both at, at, at the marginalized and also even with the with the... Uh, political structures of his, of his own community. Instead of, whereas before he was hardcore left-wing like po- politician guy in his community who wanted nothing to do with any, anything that had to do from this other political party whatsoever, and they were just as bad and were ready to burn any, as well, you know. Um, all of a sudden he says, I've got to work with my community associations. I've got to work with the mayor's office, regardless of their political party, and bring them into um, to be able to help with the marginalized and then speak into the political party that he was, uh, you know, with. And, and so it no longer becomes like just black and white on the law for that either. Every aspect of his life becomes, becomes about that. All of a sudden he starts to recognize that um, his farming of just doing corn and beans for his own family isn't enough. He's going to start using his, the, the, the creation to be able to benefit other people. So he's doing home gardens and now uh, started this tilapia cooperative, um, which is absolutely amazing. They just had a harvest of over 10,000 fish um, out, of this, out of this cooperative that they had. And he is one of the owners of it, one of the, ch- uh, the church leaders, and then two of the community members that are lay leaders of the Catholic Church who he wanted nothing to do with before. You see what I'm saying? It opens up a whole new spectrum, and their church membership grows, everything grows, but it's all about recognizing that it's all grace and truth, and I'm just living out exactly what, God, what Christ lived out on the earth. And so it's a lot of fun to see. <laughs> you know, when, when you've got these pastors who previously had all this was, was broken, broken, and they've got the best and best of intentions of trying to help, but the, 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 the concept is too closed, you know? It, but yet it's still so simple just saying, well, this is what Jesus did. Let's go do it, you know? So, and it is an exciting time for us at, at in Lasse right now because, you know, we've got 70 of these pastors. <laughs> and Pastor Carlos, for instance, he now is replicating with uh, seven different churches in his area, 
you know. And they're doing multiple projects around the community. They, they've implemented uh, 25 houses over the past couple of years, you know, built homes for the people in the worst conditions. They've done street projects. They've, you know, uh, uh, improving the infrastructure of the streets. They've worked with the public school, the mayor's office, all these different things. You've got a whole municipality that's being changed and transformed. And one of the most amazing things about it, too, was that uh, I was talking with one of the community leaders who said that the ADESCO, which is the community association, basically like the city council of the area, they had been fighting for years, and they'd been these little coups going on locally and all this stuff going on. All of a sudden, with, three, with Pastor Carlos and three of the church leaders and part of the community association, and they brought in both the political parties to the table all of a sudden, they trust them. And they're actually, they brought transparency and justice and kingdom values <laughs> to local government. And that's one of the things we don't even measure or really look at that much, but it's like one of the things that happens over and over again. All of a sudden, you're able to bring in the church, speak in some truth, speak in some grace, and all of a sudden, you've got government that even does something good. <laughs> Man, that's a real miracle. <laughs> um, but as you see, these things as well, and actually, as Henry Cloud talks about it in his book, that the grace and truth, these are things that don't just happen overnight. The last essential element that's there is time. You've got, to, you've got to give it time, and the focus on time is not necessarily what's going to happen in 20 years, but what's going to happen now. What can I do today with this mission and vision, this grace and truth in front of me? What can I do today with what I got in hand, which is the other thing that always blows me away with these pastors I mean, these guys are living on nothing compared to what, these communities are living on nothing compared to what we got. And they are maximizing what it is that God has given them in their hand today, focusing on that and knowing that with time, this is going to bear fruit. That with time, this is going to be the fruition of all that, that Christ has set forth in front of us and all that Christ has given us to do. So as it says, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness we have received grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending your Son to be the example of grace and to be the example of truth. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would go out of here in the next week and months ahead and be examining our concept of you. How do we see you, God? How do I see you? Full of grace or just full of truth and law? Are you wrathful? Are you vengeful? Are you loving? Are you... Help us, Lord, to understand you. And therefore, to translate this into everything, to recognize that if we have these inner feelings of guilt and shame, that that's an indicator for how we see you. Or if we have these indicators of spiritual pride or entitlement, that that's also how we see you. Help us to understand the ways that we are treating others, both those that are close around us and those that we would typically have nothing to do with. Give us wisdom. Give us a vision 
for how you would use us, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.